Yo! Welcome to Real Politic. I am Jack, and I am here with my co-host. Hello, it's me, Geraint, Wario Tifo, um, and today we're doing a joint episode with our friends at Michael and us. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're joined by uh, Luke Savage and uh, Will Sloan. Yeah, this is this episode is gonna shred, or rather, it does shred because we've already recorded it and we know <laughs> it shreds as hard as Mr. Bruce Springsteen on the song "Adam Raised a Cane." Which, uh, you know, vote for the real boss heads out there. I don't think that's an expression. Well, I think probably the hardcore Springsteen fan community do have a name for themselves. Like most fan communities do. Like uh, the, the Springsteen equivalent of the Juggalos <laughs> or something. But <laughs> I could not tell you what it is. Uh, so, uh, you know, I myself am a Rusty uh, or a Youngster, a Neil Young fan. <laughs> <laughs> so no i love you, you, Bruce. Are, a, you, you are a parrot head <laughs> i am also a bit of a parrot part of the head. hardcore jimmy buffett fan community yeah some people are just deadheads and me yeah i'm a deadhead but i am a parrot head too uh yeah we're, we're we're gonna be not talking about jimmy buffett today i don't think we mentioned him at all we did mention van morrison a couple of times because you, <laughs> you gotta be done like obviously that goes without saying latest yes. record project the most culturally relevant piece of work at the moment <laughs> Jack refers to the uh, the Van Morrison lockdown album like the same way the rest of us would say like um or uh to sort of punctuate us. <laughs> yeah, I I refer to it the way that certain people refer to like Ecclesiastes or the Book of Job. I'm like these are wise words passed down by a prophet from the mountaintop on stone tablets. But yeah, we're not talking about Van Morrison today. We're we're we. Uh, getting together with a Michael and us boys to talk about a musician from a different generation and it is not Neil Young and it is not Bob Dylan I think for the first time ever on RP this is a Bruce Springsteen episode and were we just talking about his music I would be you know gushing and very positive uh but we are actually talking about his new podcast with co-host and producer Barack Obama, Renegades, born in the USA, which uh, you'll you'll hear what we have to say about it. So I, I won't get into my opinions now. When I think Renegades, I think a two-term president of the United States of America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, what I will say is I think is probably has damaged Bruce Springsteen's anti-establishment cred uh, <laughs> to some extent. I, I, I mean, we all knew he was uh, a rich liberal, but he uh, didn't have to rub our faces in it so much. <laughs> anyway, let's introduce our friends from Canada Will Sloan and Luke Savage for this discussion of renegades born in the USA. Opposing the government and opposing the conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any dissent. We know who the hard left are, who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. Hard left agenda. 
printing money, nationalisation without compensation, is a hard left wing position. Hard left, the 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 hard left, Isn't it, isn't it amazing that uh, technology allows us to record, like, you know, a, a, a podcast across the Atlantic uh, in, uh, you know, uh, we're, in, we're, all, we're all in different locations, um, and yet, like, it can't get, you know, capitalism won't get, like, refuses to give us a, Ma you know, MacBook Pros or laptops that have, like, enough hard drive space to have the movies that we love and do, and do the podcasting. It sucks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, life life is hard. Well, our ca the ca our capitalist overlords are saying to us, you can only have so much pornography on your computer before it will become a problem <laughs> for you. Like they're looking out for our best interests. See, see, I think well, what they're saying is that if you want to listen to anything, uh, actually, Will and I were talking about this yesterday. You know. It's like, uh, the, and it's something we just are constantly returning to because it's ubiquitous now. It's like we're moving to a future where none of us actually own or, you know, the at least the direction of travel, right, is that none of us will actually own any of the media that we want to consume. It's like Van Morrison said, man, they own the media. That, that, you know, Van Morrison warned us. <laughs> you know, just one of many things I agree with Van Morrison on. <laughs> But, but seriously, it's like, you know, that we're moving to a point where like owning anything, like owning a hard copy of anything, like owning music on vinyl, owning, I don't know, Criterion Blu-rays, whatever it is, like that's kind of um, a luxury thing. Um, and then, you know, mostly when you're listening to music, watching a movie, even listening to podcasts, like that's kind of happening through like, uh, you know, you pay a license fee, basically. Um, and the reason I the reason I brought this up is because, you know, uh, I, I really think, you know, the future is not us listening to the things we love on on vinyl or CD. It's us, you know, being bombarded by ads from Starbucks Canada while we're trying to listen <laughs> to the Vinyl Steam podcast. You know, that definitely being definitely being the kind of thing that I know um, all of us love. I found those ads a blessed respite, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Before we talk about Obama and, and Springsteen, I did want to thank Starbucks Canada for allowing me to listen to this wonderful podcast. You know, we wouldn't be here without you. And as they reminded me, self-care is important. It's highly personal. Um, and that's why Starbucks Canada offers inclusive espressos and Americana um, involving, as I, as I learned and was delighted to learn, uh, several different kinds of oat milk. So, <laughs> and you have the oat milk as a great British politician. You know, to paraphrase him, rather. <laughs> I just, I just think we should all be thankful to to companies such as the Dollar Shave Club for for generously lending their sponsorship, so that great unheard voices like Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen can <laughs> afford to put a podcast out there. You know, I feel like they really can I just say before that. going ahead, every time I hear the name of his production company, Higher Ground Productions, it's like a it's like a slap <laughs> in the face. You know. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like I just hear him going mm, mm, uh, higher ground productions much. 
Well, I'm glad you guys were into the idea of a joint episode because I think something we can all agree on is that these days, you know, we all find ourselves lacking in a common story. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think, you know, the, the four of us may be separated by, uh, you know, backgrounds, by, by different accents, by different geographies. But I think, uh, you know, I think there's a whole lot we can uh, agree on. And I think uh, we're, we're going to find that, that there's more in common between us than uh, divides us. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, welcome everybody to Renegades Made in Canada, uh, <laughs> in which the Real Politic and Michael and Us podcasts will be reviewing Renegades, born in the USA, the new podcast by Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. From from the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> it was not communicative. I grew up thinking, you know, my father was like ashamed of his family. That was that was my entire picture of, of masculinity. Did you have to deal with that? So my father leaves when I'm two, and I don't meet him until I'm ten years old when he comes to visit for a month. I had no way to connect to the guy. You know, the guy's, he's a stranger who's suddenly in our house. On the surface, Bruce and I don't have a lot in common. He's a white guy from a small town in Jersey. I'm a black guy of mixed race, born in Hawaii. He's a rock and roll icon. I'm not as cool. I was trying to remember the first time we actually met. Probably was in 2008 during the campaign. You came, was it in Michigan or Ohio? I have no recall. I... <laughs> in our own ways, Bruce and I have been on parallel journeys, looking for a way to connect our own individual searches for meaning, truth, and community with the larger story of America. And over the course of a few days, all just a few miles from where he grew up, we talked. Renegades Born in the USA is the thing we're here to talk about. It is, as Jack mentioned, the new podcast collaboration available exclusively on Spotify between the 44th president and the boss. Um, I'm sure we all have uh, uh, unique thoughts on the podcast. I'll maybe, I'll maybe open with some of my preliminary thoughts. Uh, first of all, the podcast, which is Kind of an ongoing Socratic dialogue between these two men from such um, uh, uh, such an unlikely friendship from such diverse backgrounds. You know, one grew up in Hawaii and became the president. The other, uh, hard scrabble, working class upbringing in uh, you know a highly segregated town in New Jersey. What could these two possibly have in common? Well, we the, bridging the gaps will be very much the subject of this podcast. Um, first of all, this podcast is uh, exactly what I expected it to be. It, yeah. I listened to the first two episodes. The first one was called Our Unlikely Friendship. The second one, the second <laughs> one was called Race in the United States. And uh, it's slickly produced. It moves at a steady clip. It is moderately entertaining if you like this kind of thing. Um, so I probably didn't hate it as much as Luke will. Uh, that said, I I did not enjoy this podcast, and I do not enjoy Barack Obama's company. Uh, it, it, like the podcast is very much about his theory of change, which is as it has always been, and 
uh, on a basic level, I don't like the way he talks. I don't like how he says everything as if explaining it to a school child. Um, mm. I would say the podcast benefits somewhat from the presence of Springsteen, who is clearly a well-meaning person, clearly not a cynical person. Um, but, but um, you know, uh, o- overall, I didn't, I didn't get a whole lot out of it that I didn't uh, already understand, although it is certainly a vivid illustration of the Barack Obama political project. Uh, Jack, what did you think? I thought, like... It is entirely in keeping with the brands of both Bruce Springsteen and Obama in the 2010s. So, like, Obama has obviously put out a series of memoirs, and he's... Is it just... Luke, you've probably read all of them. How many memoirs has he put out recently? He's put out volume one of a two-part memoir. The, The second volume is supposed to come out later this year, but I guess... Overall, he's done three, uh, Dreams from My Father, The Audacity of Hope, and A Promised Land, which was the recent So once one. this is all done, he will tie Linda Lovelace's record of four autobiographies. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've read The Audacity of Hope years ago. Uh, I'm mostly familiar with the most recent one by what Luke has said about it on Michael and Us and in the pages of Jacobin and elsewhere. But, I mean, from the extracts that Luke, and I think I read some other reviews of it and so forth, like, from the extracts that appeared in there, it's absolutely the same tone. I imagine if there's an audiobook of it, then it feels very much like listening to this podcast. And similarly, Bruce Springsteen released an autobiography a few years, which I think was just called Born to Run. And it it was quite good, but uh, in fact, a lot of the stuff that Bruce says on this podcast is literally straight from the pages of his memoir and also from his uh, Springsteen on Broadway show that uh, came out on Netflix and, um, you know, covered basically the same ground as his book, but in a condensed fashion. So, and in fact, I actually listened to the audiobook of Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run, and it is such a similar experience. Somebody could just, you know, put a bit of generic podcast in the music, in the background, get a bit of the audiobook of Springsteen's uh, memoir, get a bit of the audiobook of Obama's recent memoir, mash them together, and it would be the same of this podcast, but with fewer bits where Obama is like, Barack, man, come on, dude, when Springsteen, like, asks him how he should be addressed. (laughs) Because Springsteen's so deferential to Obama in this shit, man. You know, uh, (laughs) Obama is like so many of those very charismatic, famous guys like Tom Cruise or, or Bruce Lee or Prince where there's like always something skirting on the edge of absurdity about their overpowering charisma. <laughs> there's part, a part here where Obama is like talking about Springsteen's childhood and how Springsteen didn't have a lot of rules set for him as a boy. And he says something like, so what were you doing, ma'am? And that was like a <laughs> nail in my ear hearing him say, so what, so what were you doing, ma'am? Ugh, hated it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, um, like, Obama says man in this even more than Joe Biden does when he has to talk to black voters. 
I, I want to know what our uh, what our comrade who's not on camera uh, thought of the podcast. Well, I, I listened to the first three episodes of it, so the, the the two that Will mentioned and the third one, which was nominally about American music, um, and I basically agree with most of, of what you guys have said so far. But um, it's it's very much a, a, a podcast. Unsurprising, given the two people involved in it, uh, it's a podcast about sort of myth making, really, isn't it? Um, the, the both of them are, are sort of professionally engaged in it in, in their different ways. Um, again, the first episode focuses a lot on this this unlikely friendship, and uh, you know maybe from where they started out it makes sense. But there's there's not certainly in the three episodes I listened to there, there's no real acknowledgement that actually they have both been very successful and very wealthy people for for a long time, and in in that in that context it's not that unusual that like a very famous musician might meet a very successful liberal politician and become friends like that they, you see they were all happens, feasting you know, on the same infant probably... at bohemian grove and realized that they had more in common <laughs> than they thought they did oh man when springsteen is just kind of like slightly cagely alluding to these wild parties that went on at the white house but there's no kind of details revealed they're just like huh people should have seen those parties right barack and barack's like yeah man yeah dude that was it was it's like wild. have you ever seen a little like, movie called it's... sallow <laughs> probably staring daggers at him at that second <laughs> yeah it's just like you hear you hear him alluding to these parties and yeah it's either sailor or eyes wide shut <laughs> that you're picturing yeah. i like i like how the podcast begins with uh like this kind of like it begins in media res in this kind of off the cuff way where Obama, you know, who's obviously a very busy man enters the room and it's like, he's like, Oh yeah, sorry for being late. Uh, and then he's like, I like how you have the whiskey there, you know, just in case or whatever. And you know, he's letting us know that he's the kind of guy who's been, you know, he's going to put on a suit and tie and he's going to tell you about politics and it's going to be, get a bit, you know, we're going to get a bit cerebral, but he's also been known to let his hair down and, you know, drink a shot of Jameson. <laughs> There's this bit in one of the later episodes where they just, like, go for a drive in Bruce's Cadillac <laughs> while listening to Bruce's song Cadillac Ranch. <laughs> and, like, they're sort of, yeah, they're just, like, revving around, and it's such, like, uh... Une- an unedifying audio experience like it do- it doesn't sort of give you anything it just reminds me of the alan partridge podcast from the oast house where there's just <laughs> loads of stuff of alan partridge like wandering through the wilderness and like brutally cutting up his foot on a rock or something and it and it, and you just hear him like <gasps> and so yeah it's just it's just all this like car noise and the two of them going oh yeah dude you sure about this yeah man we're gonna go real fast like for like two minutes and it's just baffling to listen to will's right i don't i really don't enjoy this kind of thing and that's partly ideological it's partly you know this kind of thing is just not to my taste you know politically or otherwise but it's partly also just oversaturation mm. you know i've some i somehow have a career where i am forced to subject myself to things that are very unpleasant and then write my thoughts yeah. on them or things i find very unpleasant um and then you know write about them um and so you know it's it's partly that as well so i struggle sometimes at least initially to you know i always think like well god what is the audience for this who's listening to this and i i mean i don't actually think it's that hard to um 
to account for. I think, you know, the the reason something like this is such a moneymaker and I assume has a vast listenership is because, you know, there's kind of something for everybody, right? There's, you know, I mean, who doesn't love Bruce Springsteen? And then you got, um, you know, Obama, who's, you know, a very popular and beloved figure. Um, and they're talking about, you know, they're sort of talking about things at the kind of nexus between, you know, uh, Americana and, you know, sort of mainstream Americana and politics. And that's, you know, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's something for everybody. It's like you, you have, you have a good time and, and you learn something. Um, and, you know, that is Obama's entire, you know, in his kind of new role as a, or his new incarnation, I suppose, as an influencer, as a kind of, <laughs> as somebody who is an aspiring sort of, I mean, mogul might be too strong a word, but, you know, a sort of entertainment entrepreneur. You know, the something for everyone shtick, uh, which of course is his political shtick also, um, is something that, uh, you know, you see in all of his, uh, you know, in all of his output these days. Uh, when Nathan Robinson and I wrote our review of his memoir, you know, we open it, um, by talking about uh, his playlist, uh, which came out in in just it, right ahead of the uh, release of Volume One of his memoirs, um, and so you know the playlist was uh, you know some memorable songs from my administration, something like that, and um, you know just to list uh, list a few of the things that were on it, you got Frank Sinatra, Dylan, Beyonce, U2, Gloria Estefan, The Beatles, Miles Davis, Brooks and Dunn, Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Wonder, Jay Z, BB King. Eminem, um, you know, so you, you know, you've got like, um, uh, you know, like Aretha Franklin covering the band's The Weight with Dwayne oh, Allman on guitar, so you know, Southern Rock meets... Ticking so many boxes there, I mean. So- Southern Rock meets Detroit gospel, <laughs> right? Um, and, and the thing is, um, you know, the thing is like, you know, this is a podcast about myth making, um, but the thing is we expect and, and want... Uh, Bruce Springsteen, right? We want entertainers uh, and artists to be myth makers because that's a big part of their function, especially, you know, an artist like Springsteen. For what it's worth, I think Springsteen is pretty introspective about uh, that role in, in you know, to, to some extent on, on this podcast, from what I heard, I also listened to three episodes, but also uh, in, in Springsteen on Broadway, like he talks about, like, what does it mean to be a kind of myth maker? The trouble is, and and this is where I find something like this so difficult and grating, and ultimately, you know, I, 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 I'm left with only the most cynical reading of it, even as I try to understand how people might enjoy it or, or like it um, or appreciate it, is that, you know, I think that the function of uh, political leadership is very different. And so when Obama says stuff like, um, like he um, in the first episode, he says, you know, you, you start with the vanity in politics and the megalomania. And then he says, at some point, you empty out and become a vessel and a conduit for the stories you've heard from others. Um, you know, and uh, he, he talks elsewhere on this about he says, how can we f- uh, find our way back to a more unifying American story? He says, we're looking here for ways to connect our individual searches for truth and beauty with a larger story of America. And I, I just think it's I think it's incredible how Obama, like Springsteen, understands his function and has always understood his function, like and his his political vision as being about like, you know, he's a weaver of myths, uh, and that's what he thinks his his purpose is. In in his memoir, there's a remarkable passage where he's talking about his election in the wake of the financial crisis, and he says like. You know, well, maybe, you know, all this bad stuff was happening, but maybe what we needed was, you know, um, 
you know, referring to these kind of triumphal first few months of his presidency where there's this big kind of national groundswell, saying maybe what we needed was just like a heartwarming story to get people through this, you know, difficult time. And it's like, well, I think what, you know, was needed was a massive, you know, historic overhaul of the American economy and financial system. But, you know, <laughs> you do you, bro. Did you listen to the episode where <laughs> Bruce Springsteen almost kind of challenges Obama? The one bit. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. Is that the it. episode on reparations? Uh, oh, was that the... I, I don't think I actually listened to that one. I listened to, I think, six of the eight episodes. Let me just check on since the we Since now. we brought it up, I would like to just briefly mention something that came up in the episode um, Race in the United States, a discussion on reparations. At one point, they talk about reparations, and Obama says, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, if you ask me theoretically if reparations are justified, the answer is yes. There's not much question that the wealth of this country, the power of this country, was built in a significant part on the backs of slaves. Um, but then he goes on to say, um, but on a practical level, I understood that as a, as a, as a political issue, as something tangible, reparations uh, was a non-starter. You know, we can't even agree to get good quality schooling in our, in our inner cities and just think of the white backlash that would meet this. You know, many, many white people struggling to make ends meet on their own wouldn't understand how this could benefit them. But then he um, then he concludes this riff by saying, um, even though I was convinced reparations was a non-starter during my presidency, I understand the argument of people I respect, like Ta-Nehisi Coates, that we should talk about it anyway, if for no other reason than to educate the country about a past that is too often not taught. Now, a beef that I think a lot of people have had with Obama uh, in his post-presidency is he's got this enormous platform. He oh, he seems to, I mean, he genuinely is one of the most powerful people in the world still. Like, the connections he has, the reach he has, the platform he has. Um, and uh, so often he seems to use that platform to, you know, like, chide the activist-based or, you know, tell people, well, you know, if you if you say that thing or uh, if you emphasize this thing, you, you, you use that language like defund the police or abolish the police. You're not going to get people on your side now. I mean, he may he may well be right about the reparations issue. He may well be right that it's a political non-starter. But, you know, he's not the president anymore. And he seems um, so eager to use these platforms that he's built for himself to kind of. Well, to 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 not want to educate people, he 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 always he's always striking this posture, being yeah. like, "Well, of course I'm on the side of this thing," um, but but uh, fundamentally, you have to you have to argue things this way and that way. Couldn't he be using his platform to instead be educating people um, uh, about the uh, about the reality? When he talks about abolishing the police, he says that phrase, you know, strikes fear in the heart of a lot of people. You shouldn't use it. What if he used his podcast to explain what abolish the police actually means? Because when most people hear what it actually means, you can kind of get them on side with it. Now, I know the answer to that question is because he doesn't actually believe that, um, <laughs> etc. Well, he does use the, this platform to chide activists uh, in not always contemporary ones. At the end of the what's it called the uh traveling america whatever fucking hell hang on <laughs> fuck this. uh they've all got such trite names my favorite is looking towards american renewal 
Like, it sounds like the name of a fucking centrist think tank. (laughs) Uh, Where is it? Oh, yeah, traveling the US and finding home. Uh, uh, Towards the end of this episode, I mean, Springsteen, I think he mentions Ron Kovic, the author of Born on the 4th of July, who uh, co-wrote the script for the film adaptation with Oliver Stone and, of course, was a Vietnam veteran who lost his legs in the war and came back, became a very committed peace activist. Um, You know, they they sort of, they don't really mention that he remained committed to peace throughout his life and uh, was opposed to the Iraq war or whatever they t- they take this ve- very just kind of like retrospective look uh they're talking about Vietnam but when Springsteen mentions him elsewhere and the influence that meeting Ron Kovic had on writing Born in the USA I think that's the more kind of one of the more affecting moments of the podcast but then at the end of this episode he's mentioned in the context of troops coming home from America and Obama just goes off on this big rant about troops coming home uh, coming home from Vietnam and being like spat on and called baby killers and he's like you know people in this country learned a lot from Vietnam even people who were opposed for, to military interventions learned to respect our troops and I'm like is that your fucking lesson from Vietnam I mean it's true a lot of people um, Americans were sent to Vietnam uh, you know who weren't bad people who got drafted who got fucked up out there got killed but you know, at the same time, Obama just, like, really sucks the politics. Or, I mean, there's still obviously a sort of imperialist ideology to our lesson from a war was to respect the troops. But he really, like, takes the worst political lesson from Vietnam and then also just kind of, like, plays this right-wing rhetorical card about, uh, you know, soldiers being spat on when they came home from Vietnam and called baby killers, which barely happened i think that is a small small part like someone like ron kovic became an integral part of the anti-war movement it's a common theme in his memoir actually you know he frequently talks about how like you know when he was at law school he didn't agree with the you know the the conservative students but he really respected how you know rigorous they were and values driven or whatever but then he's constantly hippie punching he's constantly talking about these you know long-haired left-wing activists or whatever who were you know who just thought america was the problem they you know they had this jaundiced view of american history and you know they they thought there was something um you know they they thought there were parts of the history that was you know irredeemable or whatever and he's just got absolutely no time for that and he specifically goes out of his way on a number of occasions in the book to do that so i didn't i didn't hear the episode you're talking about but none of that surprises Mm. me i mean this this podcast actually it has reaffirmed, I'll say, some of my problems with some of Springsteen's recent output. It's it's worth saying he hasn't put out very much new music in the 2010s. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a very big Springsteen fan. Maybe slightly less of a Springsteen fan than I am of, like, Neil Young or Bob Dylan. But then that's still not saying much because I'm really into those guys. But... I feel like this podcast uh, is what is the direction that I hoped that his other work in recent years was not heading in. Because some of the stuff, I mean, frequently his projects in recent years have been accompanied by documentaries, which recently he's started co-directing himself with his sort of in-house director, Tom Zimney. And they all have this very ponderous 
kind of humorless, uh, quite often quite trite, I think, and quite sort of self-exculpatory tone. And I, I sort of haven't really cared for, say, like the Western Stars film and the little interstitial bits in that. Uh, that what when he sort of does voiceover, uh, he's like, you know, America's like an open road, and you gotta make sure you're heading in the same direction as your person on the other side, or I think, you know, and like uh, <laughs> that stuff. Like it does kind of get really a, a bit tedious for me i think I, I i at least his most recent album a letter home sorry letter to you a letter home is a neil young album it felt like the music was a bit less kind of like labored over and kind of uh, although i like his previous album western stars you know that it, it, it was this highly like constructed thing it was like uh, almost kind of like not a rock opera, like a 70s country pop opera from the point of view of Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, interesting record. But but then the, the latest one is like is with the E Street Band and it kind of feels rocks a bit harder. It's all recorded live in the studio. Um, and there's something like. He also has kind of composed a bit of like background music for these films that he's made with with Tom Zimney, and uh, I have to say it, it's never impressed me in his stuff. But uh, given the like generic podcast music in this shit, I was really hoping that you know it it, it would be stylistically more of a Springsteen joint than an Obama joint because it's it, it, yeah you know every the only time that there's any good music in in this shit like there's this this nice slide guitar part that comes in that sounds like uh uh, uh score to paris texas and i'm like oh this is great they okay the composer for this some random guy who's not bruce springsteen has really upped the ante on this one and then it's just bruce doing an acoustic version of born in the usa and you're like ah that's why <laughs> this music's good well can i ask i mean Bruce Springsteen is used here very symbolically of this avatar as this avatar of the working class <laughs> and people from all over the political spectrum, including uh, a lot of people on the left have, have loved Bruce Springsteen over the last 40 years and, and have regarded him as, as kind of a, they, they've also regarded him as an, as an avatar for a certain kind of like blue collar Americana and have perceived him as a very authentic uh, embodiment of a certain kind of Americana, even though he is, you know, obviously a very wealthy man at this point. Um, I mean, I think you're probably a bigger fan of Bruce Springsteen than me. Like, like, what is it about him that that makes him authentic? What is it about him that gives him the credibility to carry this role for 40 years all the way into this podcast? Well, I was almost at, at the stage w at one point of pitching a book to uh, a left-wing publishing house in Britain about um, basically how Springsteen is almost like aesthetically right-wing in some ways like he's got this huge band with like two keyboardists and a sax player and it's this big bombastic expansive sound and he's plays stadiums and he's obviously rich as hell and he you know his most famous album cover is his fucking ass in proper american jeans uh, in front of an american flag right uh, at the height of know, the reagan era too you know and it, and that 
would play at Reagan rallies. Uh, that yeah, song. but Born in the USA is one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen albums, and uh, there's a lot oh. of great stuff that didn't make that record uh, that you can find on the Tracks box set that came out in '98. That is really kind of hardcore political stuff i mean i'm not saying it's like socialist or whatever but you know deep songs about like the trauma of vietnam veterans and stuff check out the song shut out the light which like the song born in the usa was also inspired by the story of ron covid well she called up her mama to make sure the kids were out of the house she checked herself out the dining room mirror and undid an extra button on her blouse He felt her line next to him When the clock said 4 a.m. He was staring at the ceiling He couldn't move his hands Oh, mama, 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 come quick I got the shakes and I'm gonna be sick Throw your arms around me in the cold, dark night Hey now, mama, don't shut out the light Don't you 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 shut out the light as well as the sort of anti-war message messages that creeped into his songs, I mean, mostly it's just this depiction of working-class life that spans this sort of buoyant hope that there's a chance to move on to something greater, as Springsteen himself, I guess, did. Um, we've also, on, you know, that's the Born in the USA feeling. Sorry, no, the Born to Run feeling. But then his next album was Darkness on the Edge of Town, which is really much more like down to earth. It's like, okay, but for a lot of people, there is no exit. You know, he talks a lot about on that album about kind of like crushed dreams, uh, making things work even when they're not what, what you wanted. And, you know, he'd carry that on. You know, his album after that was The River, where he has a song actually inspired by his sister, who lives a very... Uh, sort of working class life like married a working guy from Jersey who was then unemployed for a long time and they inspired the the, the, the awesome, like no one else writes lyrics like I got a job working construction for the Johnstown company but lately there ain't been much work on account of the economy, like that's <laughs> that's why sort of like Bruce Springsteen's songs, I think the, the sort of uh, the, the band Downtown Boys, who are this communist punk band who have a sax player. They're fronted by uh, a, a woman of colour. I think there's a sort of mixed race band. And uh, they sort of say like, well, yeah, Bruce Springsteen's a liberal. Look, the guy has played every single fucking inauguration of every single establishment liberal president like in recent memory like clinton obama biden he was there at all of them um but his the music that he's made is frequently um comradely stuff and so i i wanted to in this book that i never wrote because uh, i felt he was he was maybe moving he was maybe too much of an establishment liberal for me to really pull the argument off was uh you know a lot of sort of like left-wing people in britain love these sort of like alternative british 80s bands and just just to pick one at random uh the smiths like i'd say more left-wing people uh in in britain probably love the smiths than love bruce springsteen but uh I, you know regardless of johnny marr's impeccable socialist politics 
I, you know, I, I think that Springsteen's songs are actually uh, bigger comrades than, uh, than, than the songs of, of a band like the Smiths. Um, and, and, and there is this slight friction in certain episodes of this podcast, uh, such as when they're talking about the economy and the global financial crisis. And Springsteen wrote this album in 2012 called Wrecking Ball, where he's kind of called, he's basically like railing against bankers and saying that they should be hanged and stuff. It's pretty awesome. If I had me a gun, I'd find the bastards and shoot them on sight. I'm a jack of all trades We'll be alright Well, in that reparations discussion that they had, there was one part where where Springsteen kind of pushed back, pushed back a little, and said, "Well, how come we can how come we can give reparations to the Wall Street mm. bankers essentially, but but we can't give it we can't give it to the descendants of slaves?" And then Obama very skillfully pivots away from pivots away from that almost instantly and gets back to his exactly point. he's like well you know he sort of just he doesn't even say it in an accusatory tone but he sort of asks obama why he didn't send any bankers to jail and obama is just like well you know there's a common ground higher ground uh blah 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 and just like comes out with all his like brilliant beautiful liberal rhetoric and springsteen's just like wow you know i, I- <laughs> In Obama's memoir, incidentally, he says that uh, taking a kind of transformative course um, during the financial crisis, uh, you know, when the Democrats had 59 and then later 60 votes in the Senate, filibuster proof supermajority, they had control of all three houses of uh, the U.S. government, um, you know, White, White House, Senate, House, um, they uh, three branches, I should say, you know, they there was a lot of appetite for them to do all kinds of stuff. And they had the mandate to do it. And it would have been incredibly popular. What Obama says is that to do any of that would have done and these are his words violence to the social <laughs> order. I mean, it's a it's a deeply, uh, it's a deeply conservative sort of idea. Um, you know, this idea that uh, he says he said, uh, rec- the, the full quote was, um, required a, it would have required a violence to the social order, a wrenching of political and economic norms, um, you know, to put to put bankers in jail or um, or whatever else. Um, and I think that is such an emblematic statement, and it's it's probably the most uh, revealing passage in the book, but also kind of the the most revealing uh, encapsulation of Obama's um, you know his ultimate loyalty to a particular and you know very conservative set of of political, social, and economic norms, where you know, to some extent, in I guess his better moments, he's able to recognize 
uh, you know, certain injustices or whatever. And, you know, I listened to the episode in Inequality where he talks about, um, you know, after kind of the, the more sort of uh, inclusive prosperity of, you know, mid-century America. You had the, the chase for the almighty dollar, as he puts it, and, you know, it, it uh, that destroyed community and, it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so Obama's able to say stuff like that um, in the same way that, you know, he was able to say that the Iraq war was was wrong or, you know, he was able to say that torture was wrong, but then, you know, he's incapable of acting um like he really, you know, in either in politics or now outside of politics, as if he actually, uh, you know, he he, do, he doesn't act in a way that's consistent with those those moments and those statements, you know, like in the, you know, he re- he was president in a big way because of George W. Bush and because he ran explicitly against George W. Bush's uh, record. And, um, you know, in the book, he complains that, um, you know, this is another one of those kind of hippie punching moments. He complains that there were protests, uh, there were protesters, um, you know, around Bush's motorcade when he was like, you know, leaving the White House or in his final uh, week in the White House or, or something like that. And, you know, his his sympathies are with George Bush. He's like, this man was a public servant and they were, you know, and, and here they were, you know, ruining his like final days or whatever. Um, the, you know, that is, uh, you know, that's that's uh, that's what his outlook is. I, Springsteen, I have very different feelings about, uh, obviously, because I'm much more sympathetic to Springsteen. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm even reasonably sympathetic to him listening to this podcast because um i i hear i mean i get i sort of get the interpretation that you know uh you know it's i think it's correct to to a certain uh degree that like it's not that you know wow two two uh two successful famous wealthy you know people who are basically liberals get along it's, you know, an, an unlikely friendship <laughs> right but but i but i also hear something else in in springsteen with this stuff and it's you know especially when you contrast it to the really powerful messages of you know his uh, his best songs um and, and i and I, I and i think also the authenticity of those songs i i think that's where a, lo- a lot of time where their where their power comes from what i hear is is kind of the earnestness of a certain kind of liberal particularly a certain a liberal of a of a certain kind of generation where you know to some extent they actually can have pretty radical commitments they are actually capable of of you know recognizing things that are wrong with the world um uh you know and and wrong with their country but then uh i don't know there's a kind of credulity or a kind of earnestness they have towards um you know their own ostensible political tribunes their own ostensible political leadership that you know you know if they were more cynical uh they would they would see a disconnect between say you know the kinds of things obama said on the campaign trail um and the kinds of things that he actually did um or the kinds of things that um sort of are you know culturally associated with the democratic party say in, in an ambient way but don't really have much of a foundation in reality they would be able to see these kind of disconnects and these contradictions and they'd be quite angry about them but there's an earnestness and a refusal to kind of take that that next step and say well the problem is actually you know the, the problem is actually the whole political order it's not just the you know the, the the angry feral right wing half of it. It's also the sort of upright went to Yale, uh, you know, went to Harvard, um, you know, compassionate liberal side of it uh, as as well. And so that's kind of what I hear um, in you know in Springsteen uh, on this uh, on this podcast. And I I have a hard time being angry with it exactly. I just feel uh, I just feel kind of a 
I don't know, a wistful tinge of uh, tinge of, of sadness. Well, this is what troubles me about that discussion about reparations that they have, because in this conversation, you see Springsteen, this um, avatar of the white working class, even though he's he's not exactly, but that's how he's used symbolically. And he's saying, yeah, like, like we should we should give reparations. Why shouldn't we? Hey, the, the, the bankers get a bailout. Why don't the descendants of slaves get it? And uh, instead of kind of like encouraging that line of thought, um, Obama Obama does everything he can to say, well, of course, that's not actually feasible. But isn't it isn't it great that we're talking about <laughs> it? And uh, the, the stakes here um are so low right obama's not even the president anymore he's he's a guy with a podcast <laughs> so um why why shouldn't he be kind of encouraging um this avatar of the white working class along in this in this intellectual and political journey yeah i mean well it's so much an, Ob- an obama joint it's so much a higher ground production, you know? Obama sort of has these little soliloquies with which he uh, wraps up the episodes and uh, introduces them. And, and and at the end of every episode, I was like, wait, what? That's the end? Like, of, of Bruce will just start being like, and that's why I wrote My Hometown. And Obama will just be like, you know, that's important. Uh, my impression, I'm not even trying to do uh, Bruce Obama impressions. They're just, just slightly... <laughs> slightly it's it's very very generic like brit tries to do an american accent yeah, it, and fails exactly energy to the that same as my bruce voice earlier uh I, I i think if i'm singing i can do more of a bruce impression but yeah not 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 talking but yeah then obama will come in at the end and just sort of wrap it up like we've learned some important lessons today that uh politics is a land of contrasts and a concept and um yeah, and that's it. And, and and Bruce just, I said to Luke that Bruce just sort of like feels like his hype man. He's just like the Memphis bleak to his Jay-Z. Or like even just on certain podcasts, like, you know, on Real Politic, you've got like, you know, Geraint, who just go, he's just there to like, you know, be my sidekick and to big me up and make me look better. Um, for him, as he will do now. Oh, that can't be true, can it? <laughs> One day I'll manage it. That was a segue, Geraint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, um, <laughs> what what does come up like Obama is annoyingly skilled at sort of um, framing the conversation around what's possible and, and what's not possible and, and, and shutting down a lot of uh, interesting discussion sometimes you um, you sort of spot him straight away as he's doing it and then sometimes you get 10 minutes later you're like hang on he just killed that, that, that line of, of, of discussion that, that uh, Bruce was trying to open up what it was suggesting itself there. Uh, stone, stone dead. Obviously, the, the reparations conversation was a, a particularly obvious one. But another thing that stood out to me in, in the three episodes I listened to, um, when he is talking about his time as president or what he's done, you notice he focuses almost entirely on sort of, I suppose, what you'd call left liberal issues. It's all on things like gun control or race and America's problems with race and it's just quite an interesting contrast um, with like particularly at the moment with, with Keir Starmer <laughs> getting hammered from all sides deservedly in the UK as a, a Labour leader who is absolutely terrified of saying 
anything that might be seen as popular with anyone remotely <laughs> on the left. Um, but then Obama's happy to talk about it, but it always, always brings up the question, like, you were probably the most powerful man in the world for, for eight years. What steps did you actually take towards it? And why are you then, like, later in the same episode when reparations come up, you're like, oh, no, no, of course you can't do this without really exploring why, you know? If you can't do it, if, if, you, if there's not much you can do in that position to to address the situation, then, then why, why are you taking such a hopeful tone, you know? Surely that's quite a bleak... Uh, it's funny, in things. that reparations discussion, when he's saying, like, listen, I get it, intellectually, I understand that we need reparations, but you have to understand there are all these lower class, working class, middle class white folks who they've got medical bills... <laughs> Um, they they've got uh, student loans. They've got this and that. You know their their standard of in their standard of living. Their income hasn't gone up in a long time. It's going to be really hard to sell it to them. And then you know the next step would be then to say, well, why do they have all these medical bills? Um, why why are their tuition fees so high? Like, what if we went about like building a society that's like like you know in 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 a bigger way, building a society that's more just, and therefore we can kind of create the conditions that would then make reparations an easier sell as easy a sell for all these people as they are for bruce springsteen um but obviously he's not going there what what if what if there'd been a president with like a you know once in a generation mandate and you know and kind of you know political political super majority who could have yield you know wielded unprecedented legislative and executive power to uh yeah, maybe relieve, you know, can't, uh, relieve student loan debt or cancel it, uh, you know, uh, overhaul the financial system, overhaul uh, the healthcare system, uh, you know, if only. Um, you know, the, the, something that, you know, I think really needs to be driven home about, uh, about Obama, right, is that so much of the narrative about his presidency uh, was that he wanted to do more, but he couldn't because of political constraints. Now, I don't accept that. I don't think that's a good explanation um, on you know, people can read any of the stuff I've written about Obama, um, where I, where I kind of argue in more detail why. But um, you know, what it what what that argument really can't account for is what Obama has used his post presidency to do. Um, you know, Obama is not out there, uh, you know, being some you know great voice for social justice. He created a uh, you know a, a presidential foundation, uh, you know, which has. You know, like a, an advisor, at least one advisor from Uber on its board, it has a completely vague and meaningless mandate to, you know, it's like we're going to empower people for the most important job there is, the role of the citizen, you know, something like that. Um, and, you know, he's uh, he's off hanging out with celebrities. He's, uh, um, you know, he's calling Theresa May on the eve of the 27 mm. election to say good luck, uh, or the 2017 election to say good luck. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's working behind the scenes to make sure that, uh, the most conservative figure there is wins the democratic primaries. He's telling the NBA players to, uh, you know, call, you know, call off their strike. Um, you know, when he does intervene, he intervenes, he intervenes in the most conservative way possible, but for the most part, he doesn't even really intervene. He's off enjoying being a celebrity. He's off giving, paid speeches to, uh, you know, banks and financial institutions. Um, you know, T Tucker Carlson likes to rail against, you know, liberal elitism, and I think has even taken aim at um, a particular, I kept forgetting which institution it was, 
might be might have been a hedge fu- particular hedge fund and it's like Carlson and Obama had actually spoken uh, I think at the same conference put on by this hedge fund um, you know so it's uh, Obama you know there are no constraints on Obama that are making him do this is a, a post presidency really reveals kind of what it is people will do when freed from constraints. We've seen what that looks like with Obama, and there's very little to uh, celebrate about it. Mm, I feel like there's an alternate universe where Springsteen didn't go on as many, you know, go to as many swanky eyes wide shut parties at the White House and went on fewer adrenochrome fueled yacht trips with Obama, Oprah and Tom Hanks in the last <laughs> few years. And he's now doing a podcast with Bernie where they, they get into the serious issues uh, for real. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I have uh, enough love for Springsteen that I'm sure he would have uh, I'm sure he would have campaigned for Bernie. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, we don't. Mm. Uh, we don't live in that could world. could go crazy after being called a Russian asset on Twitter every day for oh, a year. Oh man, uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, Springsteen doesn't <laughs> use social media, and I think that is for the best. I do not want a resistance Springsteen account. <laughs> I, I do think uh, I do think there's maybe one one last thing to say about um, you know about what Obama does on uh, throughout throughout this podcast. You know, I quoted him already where he's talking about. You know, for him, the big problem is, quote, how do we find a more unifying American story? Um, I, I have to say the experience of listening to the podcast kind of by, you know, 20 minutes into each episode, it was all starting to just bleed together. In fact, I listened to it all today and it's and I'm and I'm already having trouble kind of distinguishing between the different bits and the different episodes in my mind. Um, but that question, uh, how do we how do we find our way back to a more unifying unifying story? Uh, that really is Obama's entire political project. And I just want to reiterate that when artists do what he's talking about, um, mm-hmm. you know, Geraint used the word myth-making before, and that's exactly what this is. I mean, but when art, the thing is, when artists do this, like, that's what, that's what, that's what art's for. You know, that's in many ways what culture, and when it's at its best, it can, uh, can really do that. The problem with Obama's form of universalism um, where, you know, he kind of, he tells his own story in a way that he kind of accrues every single bit of like religious, political, social, or cultural paraphernalia, like to himself and his own story, or he becomes, as he says, kind of a, a conduit for the stories of others, as he, as he puts it. There's really not a, a lot of room for politics in that. Like doing that is not really compatible with with like real or substantive political leadership, certainly not, you know, transformative political leadership of the kind that people specifically thought Obama represented in 2008. You know, Um, you can't actually make a playlist that everybody will like. And by the same token, you know, in politics, you do have to take sides. You know, when you're when you're looking at the uh, lay of the land after, you know, uh, an un, what was then an unprecedented economic crisis and, and a depression, um, you know, not everybody's on an equal footing. You got to side with, you know, who are you going to side with? You're going to side with the Wall Street bankers. You're going to side with the, uh, you know, people whose homes have been foreclosed. Um, and Obama, you know, always insists that there are no sides. And when you insist that there are no sides, you what you're really doing is you're siding with uh, the more powerful of, of the sides uh, in 10 times out of 10. As for guy in the Neil Young t-shirt, I just want to say uh, Neil Young did endorse Bernie Sanders and uh, Bruce Springsteen didn't. 
He's he he was like, oh, my mate Tom Morello loves <laughs> that Bernie Sanders. I think Bernie's cool, but he sort of implied, well, I'd support Bernie in the the uh, presidential election, but I wouldn't support him in the primary necessarily, which he didn't. Uh, but you know, I knew I knew Bruce was a lib. I can't get too disappointed. I just say, you know, politically, it's exactly what I expected. But you know, formally, I don't think this is a good late period artistic product uh, necessarily. And um, yeah, Grant and Luke both mentioned myth mate making, myth mating. <laughs> but I think that if anything, the last few years, Bruce has been like rather too focused on burnishing the myth. Uh, and uh, rather than moving forward, as as I feel like he he's tended to do in the past, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I'll probably eat my words in that regard when the massive tracks two box set comes out, and I'm like, uh, you know, correction on what I previously said. Looking back on your past is actually really fucking cool, but <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, this podcast series. It's not wholly unexpected. I was almost surprised, in fact, by how much I disliked it, because when I saw that it had happened, I was, you know, getting, you know, a little bit contrarian on Twitter when people were slagging it off, saying, oh, Obama's a war criminal. Obviously, I agree with that, but I was just like, oh, big shocker, Bruce Springsteen's a liberal. Like, I guess some people didn't see him at Joe Biden's inauguration, like, last month. Then I listened to the show, and I was like, Oh, God, it actually really sucks to hear Bruce, like, right in, like, the den of higher ground productions, you know, in the, the den of iniquity, the salo of production companies. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll just say he comes across as a pretty nice guy. And he also comes across like a guy who could be brought further to the left. If only if only Obama could take his hand and lead him there. Uh, but but he won't. To the promised land. Yeah, if it, to use a Bruce Springsteen song name. <laughs> I, I bet if Bruce sat down with Bernie Sanders, he would be nodding along and would be very excited oh, yeah. at, at the things Bernie was saying. He'd be like, "What?" Well, it would be like when Michael Moore talks to left-wing people, he'd be like, what? You can say that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I come from down in the valley Where Mr. When you're young They bring you up to do like your daddy done me and Mary we met in high school and she was just 17 we drive out of this valley down to where the fields were green we go Down to 
job working construction for the Johnstown Company. But lately there ain't been much work on account of the economy. Now all them things that seem so important, well, mister, they vanish right into the air. Now I just act like I don't remember like she don't care But I remember us riding in my brother's car Her body tan and wet down at the reservoir At night on them banks I'd lie awake And pull her close just to feel each breath she'd take Those memories come back to haunt me They haunt me like a curse Is a dream alive it's tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.